Welcome to this week's message from Mountain Park Church. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we hope that as you listen to today's message, you feel challenged and inspired to give God more room to work in your life this week. And that's an amazing place to come back in this week as we talk about what God wants to do in us and through us. Our mission is that we would allow God to work in us and through us. But the first thing he has to do is work in us. Sometimes we get this thing all flipped around that that what he wants is for us to run around and start doing stuff in a Christian sort of way, quote unquote. And we get, we get busy doing things for God without allowing him to do something in us first. And so we've got this distorted perspective so often of what it means to, to walk out this Christian life. We, we think that it's all in the ends, but God is saying, no, 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 no. I want to work in you first. And then through the work that I'm doing in you, I want to work through you. And there's a verse that's been going through my mind for weeks now. And it's from Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. And I love the way the King James Version puts it. And it says, but those who do know their God will be strong and do exploits. And I've been processing that verse for weeks and weeks and weeks now, since the the Christmas holidays. And I've been asking God, what does it mean? What could it mean? for us as a generation now to rise up and be strong and courageous in our faith, what will it take? And the first thing that it will take is to know and understand God. I've been thinking about this for a long time. That word know in the original Hebrew language is is actually a word that's all-encompassing. It's to know intellectually and to know emotionally. But most of all, it's to know experientially. And, and I really think that we, we have a bit of a problem in our North American church culture because we know a lot about God, but so many of us, myself included, are short in the bank account when it comes to experiencing God and knowing him through experience and allowing that experience to be the thing that gives us strength and power and effectiveness in our life. And so we have this anemic culture in our North American church where we know way more than we know, we know way more intellectually than we do experientially. The problem is, and the problem that I found over the last few weeks, is knowing God by experiencing him is a much more difficult thing to put your finger on. And I've been, honestly, I've been frustrated in the last month and a half, trying to to come to, to terms with, God, what does it look like for us as a church in our region to begin to say we want to know you and not just know about you like Pastor Alex talked about last week, but experience you? What does it look like? And the question, the answer is, I don't even know. But I do know one thing. And I feel God in my core challenging me and challenging us to say this year in 2018, I want you to devote your time and your energy into knowing me. Because what I need to do in and through you 
will require an experience with me that opens up who I am to you, gives you the strength that you need to walk through your day. What's really interesting, we're not going to fully unpack this Daniel verse, but, but this verse comes in the middle of two powerful chapters of prophecy. Chapter 10 starts with Daniel fasting, and we're going to be talking about fasting today, and asking God for insight into what's going on around him. And God downloads this thing to him that he doesn't even understand. God gives him a vision, and at the end of the vision, he's left scratching his head going, I don't get it. And so he fasts and seeks God's direction. And another angel comes to visit him after three weeks and says, look, I'm actually going to tell you the meaning of what you saw. And Daniel chapter 11 is, is a powerful chapter as this angel unfolds what will happen on a global scale after Daniel's life. And it is strikingly crazy how very precise that prophecy has become as it relates to the different uh, global movements of power and civilizations. Chapter 11, verse 32. But those who do know their God will be strong and do exploits. Is actually a prophetic word speaking about a time that's roughly 165 years BC before Christ. And it's a season where Israel was under tremendous duress from the governor of Rome at that time, who had renamed himself Epiphanes in a move of pride and self-righteousness to say that he was, he was the living, breathing epiphany of God. So this Roman governor sets himself up, literally changes his name to say that I am your God. And there was this group of Israelites called the Maccabees at that time. And they had been faithful to God, faithful. And in that season of tremendous duress, because they knew God and had experienced his power and his might and the way he worked, God gave them courage and strength to stand up against this governor Epiphanes. And if you get into the history, it is fascinating how this small remnant group of people literally changed the course of that nation, vastly outnumbered, wholly unqualified. But God used this little group of people to affect great change. And the things going on at that time were not unsimilar to what we face in our culture today. It's actually strikingly similar. And I really believe that one of the things that God has been just depositing into me is that things for those who follow Christ aren't gonna get better, they're gonna get worse. And that in order for us to walk and stand strong in our faith, we don't need to know about God only, but we need to experience his life in us so that in the coming years, we have the courage and strength to stand in our faith, 
in opposition to what the world governments and our government are doing, in opposition to our culture that's like a raging river. As soon as you step in, you get swept away. And God is saying, I'm looking for people who would know me. And what I've been asking him back is how do I know you? One of the the greatest ways for us to unlock the experience of knowing God is through fasting. The experience of knowing God can only happen when we actually get ourselves physically involved in understanding and yielding ourselves to him. In grade nine, um, I was, uh, we had just moved from Ottawa to Saskatoon, which I thought was the worst decision my parents could have ever made, ever. In grade seven and eight, grade six, seven and eight, I had just started skiing when we lived in Ottawa. And so we'd go over into the Gatineau's and, and, and I'd ski as much as I could. And, and some other, uh, this other family from our church, I don't even remember their names, but they had uh, given me this old pair of broken skis. They were literally broken. The backs, the tails of them were just flapping around like crazy, but, but they were my skis that they gave me. And, and every chance I could get, I went skiing because I just loved it so much. And when we moved from Ottawa to Saskatoon, I thought my life was officially over. Literally, you can ask my dad about this. When we hit the border from North Dakota to Saskatchewan, I started screaming. I had a full-on meltdown in the car, literally like full temper tantrum. You know, I'm a 13, 14-year-old kid who just, I lost my mind. When I saw that there were no trees, that there was no topographical elevation changes, I just... I just lost it. I completely lost it. And I, and I, and I threw a fit all the way, like three hours uh, driving north to Saskatoon. I hated living there at first. I love the people there, and I still have some great friends there. But that first winter that we lived there, our youth group um, was going on a ski trip. And Every two years, they went on a long, extended ski trip into the mountains. And so that first winter of my grade nine year was my first opportunity to go skiing in the mountains. And I had dreamt about this for so many years. And I remember, like it was yesterday, I was sitting in the bus as we were driving on Highway 3, Crow's Nest Highway, And as we were coming through southern Alberta, about to come to the front range of the Rockies, I remember sitting on this coach bus, seeing for the very first time the the tips of the peaks of the mountains in front of me. And I'm not kidding you. I did not take my eyes off of those mountains for the next two and a half hours. I was completely, completely mesmerized by their, their, their size and their power and their majesty. I couldn't stop looking at them. I honestly had my forehead on the window of the bus for two hours. It didn't matter what was going on around me. I was not taking my eyes off of this thing that I've been wanting to see for so long. 
I thought I had an idea of what the mountains look like. When we got to that ski resort, Fernie, I thought I, I thought I knew how to ski. But I'd only skied on ice and crust. So, so we got up to the, the top, and I'm in grade nine, and I think that I'm hot stuff. And we drop into this first bowl. It's called the Lizard Bowl. And we dropped in there, and I sunk under the snow, came out of my boots, and I was like up to my waist. And I thought, what in the world is this? I've never experienced this. I've never experienced the majesty of the mountains in person. I've read about them. I've seen them in magazines. I've watched videos about them. But I've never stood there in the middle of the majesty of the mountains and taken it all in, turning 360 degrees in awe. And so often, I think that our faith is like that. We've seen pictures and we've read stories. But how many of us, myself included, have sat in the middle of the presence of God and experienced the fullness of it? the kind of presence that wrecks you for anything less. Skiing became a huge part of my life. And even with the accident that I had over Christmas and the fact that I'm partially bald on top because of it for this season, Lord willing, I would give anything to go back there tomorrow. And if I was physically able to, I would strap on my skis again. Because for me, the experience of what happens is something that has transformed and changed me and ruined me for Blue Mountain or Holiday Valley. I'm sorry. Our family doesn't even ski around here because it just seems pointless. And I'm not dissing those places. Those are the places we have here, the little bumps. They're like pimples, right? But so often we settle in our Christian life and in our faith. We settle for these little experiences and for these tiny little momentary encounters with God. When he's saying, look, I created the Rockies. I made mountains that are 29,000 feet high. If only you knew as you're playing around down here that I'm up there too and there's so much more between here and there that I want to do in you and through you. And I think as we talk about it today, one of the keys to unlocking that relationship is fasting. The first time that I, I think I, it may have been the first time that I fasted at all. I was 18. And I fasted for 40 days. And that was honestly a transformative season in my life that literally changed the trajectory of where I was going. In the Bible, we see stories of fasting all over the place. And we see stories of fasting for different purposes. 
We can look back to the Old Testament and see Moses who fasted for 40 days as he was spending time with God on the mountain, fasting for revelation, fasting for understanding and insight. The Bible says that that was called a supernatural fast because Moses didn't eat or drink for 40 days, which we know that our bodies can't live without water for more than three or four days. And so Moses was fasting for understanding and revelation and insight. We hear other stories through the Old Testament of Daniel fasting for protection and revelation. In Ezra, they fasted for protection against uh, an army of raiders. In 2 Chronicles, Jehoshaphat and his army, they fasted for victory. In the New Testament, Jesus fasts as he begins and launches his public ministry. In the book of Acts, they fast as they commission Paul and Barnabas into ministry. There's this principle that we hardly talk about in our faith related to fasting. And the power of fasting in our lives is, is extraordinary. And today I just want to encourage you and walk through a little bit of some of the things that fasting does for us and challenge you and I into a short season of fasting. One of the reasons that I believe fasting is so important and so powerful is actually linked to the creation story and the fall of man in, in Genesis 3. So we're going to head there, first book of the Bible, if you have your Bibles, you can open them and turn there. But Genesis 3, God has created everything. And, and now we have this exchange between the serpent and Eve. It says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So one of the reasons that fasting is so powerful is it unlocks this principle that we find in the fall. It says earlier in Genesis that when God made man, he formed man from the dust of the earth, and that when he breathed into him, man became a living soul. So it's the combination of God's breath and the dust, the matter, that actually formed man into three distinct parts, his spirit, soul, and body. All of us, all of us are created with three distinct parts, spirit, soul, and body. And in God's original design, our spirit was the place of communion and intimacy with God. And it was our spirit that was intended to drive our soul and our body's actions. I have a couple of little illustrations to kind of maybe help us see some of that. So that first, uh, let's do that pie chart there, Robert, first. So 
what we have is, let's do the, the other one there, Robert. So when God creates us, before the fall, before chapter three, we have this picture that it's actually the spirit that he's given us that he wants to, to actually rule and control our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, or our intellect, some people say, and our body, which is our physical being. God designed us this way, that actually through relationship with him, through communion and connection and intimacy with him, our mind and our will and our emotions and our body would take their cues from what God was doing in us and speaking to us and revealing to us. What happened in the garden that day in Genesis 3 is the serpent, the devil, came and he flipped the order. Notice that he appeals to Eve's physical senses, her sight, looking at the tree, her taste. He appeals to her external being, and he flips the order, which brings us to where we are today. If you go back to that other one, Robert, we can look at that. So he's flipped the order and says, no, no, no. What you want physically, what you crave, what you think, your emotional state of being, your will and your intellect, those are the things that control and drive you. So those are the impulses and the actions that you must follow. And in that mechanism of flipping the order. He's corrupted our ability in the natural to experience relationship with God. And what has happened is our mind and our will and our emotions, our soul and our body have choked out the presence and voice of God in us. The Bible says that, that we come to faith, that, that we're born anew, that we're reborn, and our spirit actually comes alive. Our spirit comes alive. But it still needs to contend and contest with this distorted order that we live in as fallen men and women. And so we have this struggle going on, and Paul talks about it. And you see it all over in the Bible, this struggle. Because what we know we should be doing and what we want to do, we don't do. And we live at the mercy of our impulses and our emotion and our feeling. And we live in these cycles of defeat and frustration. And when we fast, we take a moment and we humble ourselves and we declare our dependency on God and we flip the switch again. When we fast, we intentionally flip the order and say, God, like Jesus did, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. My body doesn't rule me. My soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, they aren't in control. You and your spirit are in control. And when we fast, we flip the tables on the enemy. And that's why fasting is so powerful in our lives. Because for these short seasons, it resets us to the design that God originally created us with. It resets our ability to connect with him. It resets our ability to hear him. Often in the New Testament, Prayer and fasting was accompanied by a new revelation of hearing God. When Elijah 
had this great contest on Mount Carmel, this great showdown, a demonstration of God's power. He gets down from that contest and he runs away scared because of Jezebel. And it takes 40 days of fasting on his way to Mount Horeb, 40 days of fasting for God to hit the reset button so that Elijah can hear what's next for his life. 40 days of him intentionally humbling himself, yielding himself to God, putting his physical body and his his soul, his mind and his will and his emotions in their rightful place. And God, I want and I need to hear you again. So fasting is a powerful tool and mechanism for us to flip the tables and say, God, I need to know you and hear you. The Bible says that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. It doesn't say if we just keep doing what we're doing and mill about and and keep ourselves busy that God is going to powerfully move. No, 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 no. It says it takes moments of intentionality in us pursuing his presence to create an atmosphere. We're calling this series Atmosphere. Because literally when we fast, we change and we shift the atmosphere around us. We make intentional decisions to say, God, I'm actually taking time to surrender my wants, my hunger, my emotion, my intellect, my body to you. That it isn't the thing that is master over me but that you are. I think part of what God is calling us to and challenging us to is to take these moments and say, if you really wanna know me, if you really want to know me and experience me, you're gonna have to fight for it. It's going to need to cost you something. I remember the last mountain that I climbed in Waterton Glacier National Park. I was with a friend of mine, James, who passed away later from a motorcycle accident. But this last mountain that we climbed together, we hiked in for the better part of six or seven hours. And we set up this high alpine camp a tiny little tent and up above us was the peak that we were gunning for and aiming for and it was later on in the day already it was mid-afternoon but we were both in pretty good shape back then we decided we were going to go for it and so we literally walked out of our camp and headed straight up this mountain peak and it was exhausting and grueling And there were so many times along that short climb that I wanted to give up and pack it in and just head back down. But time after time, we would be encouraging each other and saying, no, 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 don't stop. Look how far we've come, look how far we've gone. And through that exhaustion and that fighting, we finally reached the summit and the sun was just going down. 
on one side, we were on the front range of the Rockies, on one side, we could see the foothills and then the vast expanse of the prairies. And then on the other side, we could see the continental divide and the Rocky Mountains to our back. What I experienced up there is something you can't read about or look at in a magazine. But I had to fight for it and wrestle for it. And I think God is asking me and he's asking you, what are you willing to do to know me and experience me in greater ways in your life? And I want to submit to you that fasting, going without food for a period of time is one of the most powerful ways that you can begin that process and that journey of unlocking unlocking the potential to know and experience God. Just flip really quickly into the New Testament. Ephesians 2, which is, verse 6, which is uh, such a mystery (laughs) to me still, and I'm not going to pretend to understand all of the depth of it. But it says this in verse 6, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Paul is talking about what happens when we give our life to Christ, when we put our faith and our trust in him. That there is this mystery that happens that I will never fully understand here, and I don't understand, but there's this mystery that happens where he says, in the present tense, In the present, like right now, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus are seated with him at the right hand of the Father in heaven. I don't know fully what that means. But part of what I believe it means is Paul is demonstrating that there's two perspectives we can live from. There's a bottom-up perspective that we can live from, where we're just consumed with everything that's going on in our life. We're consumed with everything that we experience and are faced with all the time. And we're just, we're just trying to get through and mitigate everything and trying to just walk through. Or there's another perspective where we understand that we can have a top-down view and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth. And the purposes and the plans that you have for me, would they be fulfilled? Would I understand them? Would I know them? And fasting is a way for us to shift to that top-down perspective where we're not living in the muck and in the mud and in the struggle and in the pain all the time, but where we get God's supernatural perspective on our life. We're seated with him at the right hand of the Father now. Just think about that for a minute. If you and I could see right now everything that's going on in that realm, how would your life and my life change? What would you do differently today? 
how would it change the decisions that are on the horizon for you? How would it change how you view struggle and hurt and pain and hardship? I'm gonna get the worship team to come up. We're gonna end, just land this plane with a bit of the story of Jesus's fasting, which he did. In Luke chapter three, we have this context that is set for us. It says in Luke 3, 21, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened. Okay, that word, the heavens opened, that compound word, literally in the original language means to be torn apart. Over Jesus, as he's baptized, the heavens are torn apart over him. And the Holy Spirit, in bodily form, descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So Jesus has this baptism experience when he comes up out of the water, literally the heavens are open before him and he's seeing with his eyes what is happening in the kingdom of God. And what's happening in the kingdom of God comes down and rests on him. And it says that, that God validates him. It says, you're my son with whom I'm well pleased. God says, here's what's happening above you. Here's how I want to fill you and work in you. And here's who you are to me because you're going to need to know that. And then the Bible says in chapter 4 that he's led into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted by the devil. And he's tempted in three ways. Well, the Bible says he's led into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. And he walks out of the wilderness, that period of fasting and temptation, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Which means he's not just carrying inside of him the power that raised Christ from the dead. That actually that power of God is manifesting itself through him to the people around him, changing the atmosphere. I feel like in my life and maybe in yours, we get stuck and the disc keeps skipping. If you're under 18, you have no idea what I just said. There's things called C anyway, CDs, just look, Google them. But I feel like we have a scratch in our CD and we may be okay to walk into the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit. But I don't know in my life and not maybe, I don't know in your life either, if we're willing to yield ourselves to God fully enough to flip the tables, to walk through seasons of trial and testing, be found faithful, and be able to walk out of the other side filled with new and more power. 
And I, I just sense that that's what we're missing and that's what the church is missing. It's, we're okay to walk in, but when we get in, our flesh and our body take over and we say, I'm not up for this. God, the thought of you changing me is nice, but I'm not willing to give up food for three days or five days or 21 days or 40 days. Are you crazy? We get into the wilderness and then everything in our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, our flesh fights against what God wants to do. And we give in. And the CD skips and goes back to the beginning. And I'm wondering if in this season in your life and in my life, I, I wanna challenge you we always fast and, and for some of us, especially with medical conditions, you need to talk to your doctor before you do anything. Don't just do it because I said. But I wanna challenge you that to actually know God this year and to experience him. You can't just walk in to the wilderness. You have to be willing to lay your body, your mind, your emotions, your intellect down. It grieves me that when I think of my life and how many times I walk in and then just walk right back out. And I can only think that this church and our community, our Niagara region, is not gonna be changed because we talk about Jesus. It's gonna be changed because the power of God is changing the atmosphere around us. And I don't even think it's something we have to like, you know, nine steps to witnessing to your coworkers or things like that. I, I'm dreadful with that. But what I so desperately want is the presence of God in the name of Jesus so changing me that it has nowhere else to go but to spill out into my family, to spill out to my friends, to spill out without me even saying a word for the atmosphere around us to change and to shift because we're willing to lay our lives down we're willing to flip the tables and say, I'm not ruled by my emotions or my intellect or my body. I'm not ruled by my lust or my pride or my self-righteousness. I'm not ruled by that. I'm ruled by the Spirit of God in me who's transforming me and making me new. The Bible says that when you accept Christ, the power that raised him from the dead is in you. And my question to us is, where is it? My hypothesis in this season is that as a community, if we would actually fast and pray, that we would see God do things in our individual lives and in this church and in this region that we can't even think about right now. So here's my challenge to you. We're gonna sing. 
this song, the mention of your name, one more time as we close. And like Brenda said, Proverbs 18.10, that word, when it says the Lord is a strong tower, that word is literally means not just that that God, that, that he's a door that you walk through while the enemy's banging on the other side, but that word literally means to lift above, that the power of the name of Jesus in our life has the capacity to lift us above, above the things that are going on in our life. So my challenge to you as we sing this is to Ask the Holy Spirit as best you can to ask him about fasting. There's different ways you can fast. The Daniel fast is no meats and sweets. That rhymes so it's easy to remember. But fasting is, a, is a, an intentional decision to say, God, I'm not trusting in my flesh, but in you. And this week, If you're able to, I want to challenge you to fast with us for five days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as we lead into our revival nights on Friday. Monday night, tomorrow night, we're actually going to meet here to pray for the weekend. I don't know what God is going to do, but I want to see and experience Him. So I want to challenge you. Some of you are fasting already for 21 days. I actually want to challenge you to ramp it up and for five days to fast from all food. Over the next five days, I'm gonna fast and I want to encourage you to try it and see what God does in you and through you. So let's stand together as we declare the strength and the power of the name of Jesus over this. Father, I just pray God, whatever I said that comes from me, I just pray that it would fall away. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in your conviction, that you would come in your, your, your voice, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we renounce the blinding effects of the enemy of God over our minds, those things in us even right now that are that are are rearing their heads in opposition to you. Jesus, we we humble ourselves and we cry out to you. We call on your name that has the power to bring us freedom and victory and revelation and peace and hope and courage and understanding, God. We want to know you, not just about you, but Jesus, we want to experience you. So we start by declaring your name over our lives. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.